You're really going with that as the introduction. Well, you're really going with that. It's going you to be sure you don't want to take that one more time? No, we're just going to embrace that and have that embarrass me in the future. Okay. And you're past myself. You know what? I've spoken too long there. I'm going to have to redo that now. No, no, no. It's, it's staying in. Just keep going. Keep oh. going. Keep going. No, Welcome you're, you're to the other podcast. You're editing no, around this. You're editing. Why? You want to be unprofessional, Jesse? You want to be unprofessional? Yes. You dick. You know what? Can I call you a c- then you have to edit around it. I don't know, I can just put a beep in. <laughs> sake. Welcome to the podcast. We are back, as ever, in time to review the United States Grand Prix. I'm your host, Team Albus Daly, and I'm joined, as ever, by the Rodney to my Dell boy, Jesse Billington. How are you this evening, you annoying old man? I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a good mood now that's happened, because also Ellie Mae's going to be in a good mood when she finds out, because she'll have TikTok she content as well. She doesn't listen to this. Now, but she'll have she TikTok content. She'll have TikTok content because I'm going to edit that for a TikTok video. But anyway, yeah, I'm very well. I spent uh, Sunday over at Grove at the Williams HQ, very nice birthday present from my girlfriend, to head there for the afternoon to look around their historic collection, have a go on their esports sim rigs, and watch the race with um, sort of all the race data and have some American food. So that was very nice. Can't get more American food than the Williams HQ in Grove. That's what they always say. It's a test, tried and tested method. If you want American food, go to Oxfordshire. And dear listener, that is it. There is just the two of us today. It's an OG episode. Aren't you just the luckiest people alive? But Ellie May will be back soon enough with us. And if you're all really good, then we'll even have a guest join us too. So without any further ado, we'll just crack on, I think, with our American Grand Prix review. And Jesse, you've finally achieved something. No, you've, you say that, but... You say I finally achieved something. That makes it sound like it's actually quite a maleficent thing that I've achieved. Um, we, well, technically. I didn't do it. Um, you predicted it incorrectly at least twice. And now it's finally happened. Well, yes, sort of. Um, Formula One has been a sad farewell to Dietrich Mateschitz, the founder of Red Bull as a drinks company and as sort of a global conglomerate of anything slightly wild and crazy um he would have been the man behind it basically he created the world's best pr machine that sometimes sells energy drinks and i think formula one would be a very different and very much worse off world without him um as with the worlds of go-kart racing jumping out of space uh, airplane racing everything red bull touches seems to just be slightly crazy and it's his brilliant mind that really brought that to the world. So, yeah, it's, we, we sort of, our, our respects go out to his friends and family because it's probably not easy losing someone as charismatic as Dietrich Mateschitz. And I'll get in trouble for saying it, but you won't edit it out. Red Bull did finally give him wings. Yes. They did, in a way, but they also, it, they paid a, f- I think it was nice that they were able to cinch the constructor's title in, in his honour. They said it would probably be the best way to sort of bid him farewell and I think this weekend was the nicest way of doing it was uh, to give him his wings and give him a championship to head off with really Yes, as, as you say that they won the Constructor title which wasn't a big surprise really if it wasn't going to happen here it was going to happen in Mexico but pretty much from lap one turn one it would have been a hard job for Ferrari to prevent Red Bull from, from stopping Red Bull the, from stop, yes, Ferrari from stopping Red Bull and uh, so first for Max Verstappen and Checo in the top 10 as well. So it was pretty much a done deal. And uh, who is it? Oh, I forget his name. 
Marco, Marco, he was on the podium as well for for that. So got a bit of celebration there because you don't see him up very often. He's only up there for big occasions and fifth constructors title was their first since twenty thirteen. So nine years it's taken for them to to do that. So whilst getting the driver championship last year, Mercedes had made it a clean sweep again on the constructor side of things for for another year and. Uh, First time, first back-to-back, it's interesting that with the exception of last year, every other time they've won a Constructors' Championship, they have won a Drivers' Championship as well. So it's uh, hopefully not a sign of things to come because that just means the regulations haven't worked. Yes, yeah, if if they go on to win a few more of these on the bounce with the double, um, it's not going to be particularly exciting as fans, I think, because uh, it'll likely suggest that Red Bull's dominance is going to be something that's overarching for a few more seasons. But it is, it's nice to see someone that's not Mercedes do it, I think, is, is a key thing. At this point in time, it, it's it still... It is just a shame it had to be Red Bull, in the sense of we had four years of Red Bull, then we had eight years of Mercedes, and then we're back to Red Bull again. It's like, there are other teams... Mm. Yeah, granted, you can't blame Mercedes or Red Bull for it really you've got to blame the other teams and this year especially Ferrari because as much as Red Bull have been dominant Ferrari have very much helped them as much as they possibly could see. yeah you could definitely use the phrase Ferrari helped them on this one because there was while Ferrari put up a fight a lot of the time they were fighting themselves and they're like damn these strategies have hands and um, it just didn't pay off for them so yeah sort of a mixed bag and how that sort of has wider repercussions for the rest of the seasons going forwards will be interesting to know obviously uh, they'll have less wind tunnel testing time because they've won the championship but equally at the same time they've got more money which they can pour into different avenues but at the same time uh, we don't know whether or not they used too much money previously so whether or not they'll be discounted from last year's and if anything this year's championship and basically the whole cost cap fiasco that is still rumbling on uh, Mohamed Ben Salim did have a meeting over the weekend with Christian Horner at the Austin Paddock about the whole cost cap thing and at one point Red Bull said look if the FIA doesn't come forward and either slap our wrists and tell us off and do something about it we're going to come out and just lay all our data bare so everyone can see it and that's effectively saying FIA do something make a stand say something which is quite an odd thing to do if you're the ones that are in trouble but at the same time it means that you can get the first punch in lay all your stuff out and at that point the internet's decided for you if the internet looks at it and goes no you did spend too much money on cheese sandwiches then if anything the FIA is going to have a hard time of things so it's 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 not the open threat that it could be perceived as from Red Bull there it was an interesting move but uh, yeah, it's it's annoying that it's still so. Red Bull also have to say something really because everyone aside from them are saying you overspend. We don't really care on what. It's the fact that you've overspent, and if it is on cheese sandwiches, all the more embarrassing really because it's you. You st- it shouldn't matter what you've spent on with regards to a penalty. It's still here's your budget. Don't overspend it, and doesn't matter if it helps one area more than the other in terms of catering or aerodynamics. It's still really you overspent and it was cheese oh we're definitely punishing you for that then because that's just bloody stupid yeah that's sort of stupidity and you've got to sort of fess up to making a stupid mistake as opposed to actual sort of maleficent cheating or sort of cheating with intent as it were so it's going to be interesting to see what if anything we eventually hear something of it mind you speaking of oh no we haven't got it or is the next talking point rather um Speaking of actually hearing the results of FIA hearings and sort of meetings and reviews, uh, Eduardo Freitas will not be a race director for the remainder of the season as a result of the...
show in Japan, and I will beat myself out there. Um, obviously, we've had Eduardo Freitas and who's the other fella um, from WEC, isn't it? Who does uh, the race directing for Formula One at the moment? And Eduardo had the unfavorable job of directing the Japanese Grand Prix, which was famously not brilliant due to weather conditions and having a recovery truck on circuit, uh, literally as there were cars going around at high speeds. Uh, interestingly, people who have dug back a bit further and found some speeds of Guan Yu Zhou going past the recovery truck, and he has less visibility than Pierre Gasly and is only going 30 kilometers an hour slower. So this really wasn't a Pierre Gasly problem. This was a tr- recovery and vehicle. Apparently over the weekend, Alonso had said that he didn't know about the recovery vehicle being there until he had already come back to the paddock and was told then... A lot of the drivers said we didn't know that was on the circuit until we were back in the pits and saw the video of it. So it really does sort of support what the FIA found when they investigated afterwards was a case of there had been a communication error and while they'd enforced the rules properly, they hadn't taken into account the visibility and the conditions. And they said from here going forwards, they will be looking more appropriately at visibility and conditions for releasing recovery vehicles and staff onto the circuit. Obviously, as much as there's a crane on the track, there was at one point a rather... I don't want to say unfortunate or bold race marshal. There was a race marshal stood pretty much on the racing line as Pierre Gasly hammers towards him at God knows how many kilometres an hour. And yeah, the FI have said something went seriously wrong here and we're lucky nothing went wronger, as it were. So they've, they've held talking up their hands of, in this instance. Talking of FIA incompetence, though, friend of the podcast, Jacob Phillips, just sent through a photo of uh, the FIA when the Alpine Haas debacle that was going on yesterday following the Grand Prix. And they say that there's going to be a hearing about it on Thursday, the 24th of October, which is going to be tricky considering it's the 24th today, which is a Monday. So we assume they mean this Thursday and hopefully we find out then, but there's a lot of talk about, oh, we probably have to wait a bit longer than that, which seems ridiculous because we've got a Grand Prix at the weekend and why should we have to wait even longer for what is essentially a very simple bloody decision? It's a simple decision that really should have been made there and then and it does, we'll, we'll get onto that side of things when we get more into the race details in a second, but I know I've got a few question points that I'll raise on it when we get to it, but it's interesting. It wouldn't be see. a race weekend without us having something to question the FIA over or the stewards at this point. So. Yeah, this is very true, We've, we've this will be third race in a row, so so we've got to keep that keep our appearances here. Um, but before we get to that point, oh, I'm written down for the next one as well. Um, Logan Sargent is set to join Williams as long as he gets enough super license points. And this just leaves Haas to sort out their second driver for next year. And we'll talk about Logan Sargent if and when he gets the, the role. At the moment, it's promising stuff. He's just got to finish... I think he's got to basically finish sixth place second, in both races in Abu Dhabi oh, to retain well, second yeah. I think yeah if he finishes sixth or higher he gets second place in the championship yeah, and the, that's the outcome he needs to win it um, or to come second in the championships which is enough to get him the super license points dum, 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 dum. Uh, so that's we'll, we'll touch on that when we know we'll talk about him another know. time because again I will wait until after Abu Dhabi I think before I make my final judgement on the American 
Mm. But what that does leave is essentially only one seat left on the grid for 2023, which is the Haas seat, which does open up this weird uh, or strong message that Gene Haas put out about Mick Schumacher and the fact that he has been an expensive driver and not in terms of salary. This year alone, if we go back only as far as Singapore, so this doesn't include the fact that he binned the car in Japan, uh, he has cost... He's been the most expensive driver to keep on track, i.e. in and racing vehicle. He's cost $4.627 million. The next closest driver is Nicholas Latifi on 3.297. So even against Goat Tifi, Schumacher is a long way ahead in the stakes of wrecking cars and costing money. Saudi Arabia alone, he cost just over $2 million because he binned his car uh, he then cost a further million in Monaco when he tore it in two so he's an expensive driver to have and he's not producing the results especially when you look but at one the... thing I will say on the results wise before you compare him to other people is that interestingly and again putting tin for hat on slightly here but if we take the American Grand Prix as a prime example of that he was in the points for a lot of the race and then was put on this weird strategy where he had to pit and then could not make his way back up through the, the field to get back into those points. And you just wonder, is it one of those things where Haas just want to replace him and they need to justify it a bit more? So, oh, we're going to try a strategy, justify it a little bit to him. And, oh dear, it's not worked. Similar to what McLaren are definitely doing with Ricardo because we know he doesn't belong down where he finished in this Grand Prix. And you just think it's just a bit too... It smells of Red Bull whenever you're Max's teammate and it goes badly for you. And other teams are like, oh, I like that strategy. I might just do that a bit. And obviously it's all conspiracy and they'll deny it completely. But it just seems one of those things where, okay, yeah, if you don't want him to drive for you, just say it. You know, you'd get more respect out of it that way. It's like, yeah, we love the guy, but that doesn't translate to him being a great driver necessarily or him not crashing the car frequently. The reasons are valid. Mm. Just say it. Yeah, those reasons are definitely valid. And as much as he is a nice guy, he is sort of one of the bubbliest, kindest people you see up and down the paddock and on the grid. That doesn't get you race points. That doesn't get you race victories. And that's as we prove with Latifi, lovely bloke, yeah. loved his interview and beyond the grid. But that doesn't mean you are a world champion. <laughs> yes, and that's the the key element here is the fact that Schumacher hasn't been able to perform in that Haas as well as his teammate Kevin Magnussen. And you look at the results even from this weekend alone, potentially hobbled by some surprising strategies. But K Mag has been leagues ahead of him even from the off and bear in mind that K-Mag jumped into this car at the last minute Mick had been around for the development phase of this car he had known how this car was sort of coming together what direction it was working in and he'd been with the team he'd been in single seater racing for the year prior Kevin had been sat on the sidelines doing IMSA hadn't he so he was he if anything had the world at his feet at this point and somehow the world has been pulled out from underneath him which is quite interesting and it does go back to your the tinfoil hat conspiracy theory of like McLaren are doing with Daniel Ricciardo or like Alfa Romeo did with Giovinazzi is it's easy to get rid of a driver if you just hobble them with bad strategy and some weird pit stop calls because especially if your car is mildly competitive but not enough to force its way through the midfield all you've got to do is pit them at a bad time put them at the back of the field and leave them there because all of a sudden they're no longer a problem you don't have to focus on it you can divert a lot of attention to your other driver in this instance it would be Kevin Magnussen in McLaren's instance Lando Norris or and in other years both of them did pretty well towards the end of the race as well then when the focus was purely on them 
Yes, I mean, if you look at the end of the race where potentially the more favourable strategies to have been on really came into their own, Lando Norris was absolutely monstering his way through the field, as was Kevin Magnussen on some pretty dead hard tyres. The hard tyres this season mm. haven't been good. I'm talking the sort of the C4, C5s, which I think they're the hardest ones, I think. Am I going the right way around my numbers? Depends race to race. Depends on where it, they are. Yeah, it depends on which way they're going. But any of the, hard, the two hardest compounds that Pirelli bring to races are not overly competitive compounds at the moment. And it's because they're struggling to get heat to actually stay in the carcass of the tyre. It's quite interesting. Um, especially the way they change the sidewall profile. Anyway, different story. The fact of the matter is they're not competitive tyres and Kevin was able to really extract a very racy performance out of those tyres in that car so clearly the car isn't as terrible as we sort of like to make out that it is for being a Haas and he was racing four time world champion Seb Vettel to the line in on dying tyres both of them on yeah both of them on dying tyres he lost but you're coming up against Seb Vettel and you're no time winner three time podium sitter Kevin Magnussen Kevin Magnussen decent driver bad car and also decent driver Vettel bad car so it's kind of like which one of these is least crap today? Yeah. And also, is it probably due to the driver being in there? Probably a little bit as well, because as good as Magnussen is, you're not Vettel. Yes. And you're not yes. Vettel with nothing to lose in the twilight of his career, who just thinks, I'm having a bit of fun. And very much that's the sort of performance we did see from Sebastian Vettel was a case of he has nothing to lose in that instance. He was going to go all guns blazing and he threw his way through those corners. It looked like he was going off basically I mean, he coming did through. He overtake around the outside earlier on in the race on someone else and he just decided, I'll do that again. Then. It works, I'll do it again. I think Kimi Raikkonen, he must have learned that one from Kimi Raikkonen who once tried to get past Max Verstappen there, I think it would have been 2018? Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Um, he wouldn't be getting past me now for a mayor. No, no. When Kimi won the race, but Max was handed a penalty for pushing Kimi wide through the exit of turn 17, 18. So, yeah, it, just interesting to sort of look at that balance of performance across the Haas team and potentially how it mocks uh, the balance of performance across McLaren or Alfa Romeo in previous seasons. It's something very interesting indeed. Talking of a balance in performance, though, Alfa Romeo and Virgil Bottas Great first half of the season, terrible second half of the season. After my fun fact last weekend, or last week rather, on the podcast, Bottas' pointless streak has continued and he has not scored a single point since Canada, which when we were singing his praises quite highly at the beginning of the season, we thought, you know what, he's made an all right call here going to Alfa He's not going to be winning race or getting a podium anytime soon, but he's going to be consistently in the top 10 at the very least. You have a crazy race, maybe top five, and that'll be great for you, but... Canada. It was June, Jesse. June. Yeah, it's a long time ago for him to have last scored a point. And you've got to bear in mind... Never mind finish a race. Let my, let, yeah, let alone finish a race. Obviously, there was that brilliant quote from... Oh, who's the Alfa Romeo team boss? Uh, Fred Vasseur. Fred Vasseur. Of sometimes it's the car, sometimes it's the driver, sometimes it's Latifi. I think that came out at Spa when Latifi nerfed Bottas into the gravel there. But this time, mm. I think Bottas has just suffered from... Just did it by himself. Just did it by himself. Wind, I think. Terrible setup, and it really suffered with the wind. A few cars were suffering with the wind this weekend. Williams never goes particularly well when it's gusty conditions. Albon did as well as he did to hold off a pack of cars behind him. But even then, that Williams oh, doesn't like it. the end, sadly. You've got very close to, to points very close but yeah the Williams is not a car that's happy in gusting conditions but uh, speaking of things that aren't happy and this is a point that I did touch on earlier was 
Fernando Alonso hit with a post-race meatball flag for missing mirror, which is a sort of weird headline to lead with, and if you don't know anything about Formula One, it's quite an odd sentence to hear. Fernando Alonso, in his collision with Lance Stroll, lost one of his mirrors, it was his right-hand side mirror, and, wait, he didn't lose it initially, it was loose, and eventually broke loose when he was overtaking Kevin Magnussen. A bit like this. Yeah. And this entire time, it's quite clear from onboard footage that when that mirror was loose, wobbling, flopping all over the place. But at no point was he meatball flagged for the heather to come in for the team to gaffer tape it so it's a bit more secure, to stop it falling off onto the circuit, break it off and send them back out so that way it's not a loose component that's going to fall onto the circuit. But none of that happened. He was just left running around with a piece that was imminently going to fall off. And it came off and stayed in the middle of the circuit, which is quite odd, because obviously when we see it happen with end plates, bits of carbon fibre, they get caught in the sort of the wash from the cars and are blown to the outside of the circuit where they're no longer a problem. They're not on the racing line. They're not actually on the defined area of the circuit. So it's weird that Alonso was allowed to drive a car that was shedding large and heavy chunks that if they hit another driver at speed would cause quite a bit of damage. Just allowed to drive around shedding those parts. Especially as Perez was not hit with the same thing and he had his wing end plate missing and apparently that's not an issue. Yeah, that um, wasn't... Russell didn't get the same thing to happen to him after his little oop with uh, Carl Sainz. Yeah, it's weird that some drivers were hit with this rule, some drivers weren't. It seems to be a case of stewards that are enforcing this when they're watching the race happen don't fully understand the rule or potentially we as viewers haven't been appropriately informed of the details behind how this rule is enforced because it suggests there are sort of external factors that make you say okay that's not if it falls off that's not going to be a danger to anyone that's not going to cause a problem that's fine there's no point ruining this driver's race for the sake of a small bit of carbon but previously at the same time one rule for one one rule for another you might like i feel like has yes, they protested Perez and Alonso. Nothing happened with Perez as far as I know so far. But you think, well, why not? Where do you draw the line? Because surely a little bit of carbon, for argument's sake, if it flies off at the right angle at the right speed, maybe it launches into the grandstand, could hit someone. You don't know. You can't rule that out definitively. And so either penalise everyone as much as I wouldn't like that for Perez and Russell because they had enough stuff to be dealing with anyway during the race, or just don't do it. Yeah, except but it's a risk of the element. Don't be doing it to some and not others, you know? Yeah, because so far through the season, this has happened twice, I think, to Kevin Magnussen. Canada and Great Britain, he was both times impacted by wing end plates coming a bit loose and having to come into the pits and change it after the black and orange flag because he had a loose wing end plate. And I'd, I'd get it potentially at Canada where it's an enclosed circuit and there was a chance it was going to come off at a very tight section where it would have impacted another driver's race. It would have caused a puncture, it would have got stuck in a wheel, it would have got stuck in a front brake duct or a front wing. Fair enough at Canada, although I would have just simply left it. There is enough space beyond the white line of the defined racing circuit for it to have just sort of skittered into him and blown there. Silverstone, bit odd. There's loads of open space at Silverstone. That would have likely just flown off and landed on a bit of grass somewhere. So it's... It's odd that the just, stewards... The inconsistency sort of, yeah. is just, again, and another point of the inconsistency that I wanted to just mention was that Gasly got a five-second penalty for not being 50 metres, 10 car lengths uh, away from the car in front of him whilst under the safety car. But as several people on Twitter with the appropriate screenshots to back it up have pointed out, of the 20 drivers, or so, probably less by that point actually, say 18 drivers that were on the grid, pretty much all of them at some point during that safety car period, were more than 10 car lengths 
uh, 50 meters from the car ahead, including Max Verstappen from the safety car. So again, if you're going to punish Gasly for it, and again, cruelly, because again, not doing it properly the first time, serving as punishment to come to this, to having to do it again. So it's essentially a 10 second, but read out and kind of worse in a way. Why are you not doing that to the other drivers? It it really is the sort of idea of one rule for one, the rest for another. And Gasly has enough bad luck as it is this season. He yeah. doesn't need the help of the stewards. On Especially that one. when you wind the clock back just two races, where Perez was given several chances to behave under the safety car in Singapore before being hit with a penalty. Whereas this time, mm. Gasly was, was just, just straight, away. straight away hit with the penalty. And equally, at this point, Gasly is following a pack of cars down to a site where there has been a crash, where the race before he was chasing a safety car pack to a site where there had been a crash. You could probably understand if he's a little bit hesitant coming up to it, especially if he wants some clear air so he's not getting debris from Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso's car thrown at him by the car ahead of him. He wants to wait for the wake of the car ahead to settle so he can go through safely without either throwing bits of debris at marshals that are on the circuit over the grand, into the grandstands or at himself. I think if you're going through something like that, you could probably be a bit lenient. As long as you've caught up within, say, three corners, that's fine. It just means that drivers aren't blitzing their way through a crash site blind because they're sat behind the car ahead of them that's throwing bits of another car at them. I was going to say, if, you, if you're going to be stringent about it, do it for the rest of the track that is not that straight where you could understand the cautiousness maybe. But yeah. again, for, you had several drivers doing it in several other parts of the track that weren't there. So again, yes. why not do it then? Yeah, but it's not what like- do I know? What do we know? It's not like Gasly was doing it for sort of messing around and trying to play gamesmanship to no, sort of try and get extra heat to his tyres. No, yeah, like he, so. he was just backing off to pass a crash site safely with good sight lines, whereas the race before he nearly died after passing a crash with bad sight lines. So you can understand why he did what he did, and it's annoying that he was penalised for it on the first occurrence. So it's... yeah, FIA stewards, again... You, causing a bit of a bit of cop uh, at a race so uh, no surprises there but i mean the rest of the race was pretty self-explanatory in a way apart from well apart from the slightly odd penalty that was handed down to george russell for t-boning Carlos Again, so Sainz much for lap one incidents and we don't really look at those too much you know it just seemed a bit uh it was very callous of george russell to go steaming into turn True. one on cold tires well, cold I, brakes I, I, the, the same argument, no, not the same argument, but there is also something to be said of where else could he have gone, though? He couldn't really, at that point, when he'd already committed to the corner, he couldn't really go right, he couldn't go left, and Carlos could have avoided Max on the other side of him. Turn one, you're notoriously going to go off track anyway round there when you're trying to do something. So I feel like he could have... It, it, I think it was just a racing accident. Yeah, and. It- for turn one, lap one, you're all going to get your elbows out a little bit. Yeah, it's bad that it happened. George apologised and it's all water under the bridge. I don't think you need a penalty for it. It's just kind of, it's one of those things. Like, again, I feel like if it was Albon who had the big lockup going into that corner, if it piled into a couple of the cars, I don't think he should have deserved a penalty for that either. And if that had been the case, again, it's just, shit happens on lap one. <laughs> get over it. Yeah. So, speaking of the bad luck of Carlos Sainz and the questionable performance of George Russell, it seems only fair to move on to our winners and spinners from the weekend. So, Timo, I'll let you open up with your winner and we'll go from there, shall we? Easy enough for me this week. It's Mercedes who brought upgrades to the United States Grand Prix and they worked. And 
for five, ten blissful minutes, it seemed that we could have had a different race winner and it wouldn't have even been Ferrari. And there would have been Lewis Hamilton his first of the year, which he's running out of chances to do now, I admit. But second place and only losing it with what, four or five laps towards the end just shows that he ain't lost nothing in terms of performance. When he's got the car, he is there. And again, it's not that he's been doing terribly all season either. He's been doing pretty good with what he has and shows that this isn't just a driver where he only wins if he's got the best car. He can still do a pretty good performance in a terrible car. And I think everyone at Mercedes has agreed that this year's car is not their best one. Um, Russell, as well, after a couple of blip races, back in the top five despite everything, exactly where he needs to be. And the gap somewhat closed a little bit more to Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. And now what was originally just a fight between George and Sainz in the Drivers' Championship, Lewis has crept up on within two points of Carlos Sainz now. So three races to go. I could see that getting quite spicy indeed. Is it that close to Carlos Sainz? It's two or four points, but yeah, not very far at all. 2.02 plays 1.98, yeah. George Russell is a fair way ahead at this point. Yeah, there's a gap of 16 to George Russell ahead from Sainz, but yeah four points from Sainz back to Hamilton so he's got his work cut out as a Spaniard to try and fend off one Mercedes from behind while catching another Mercedes ahead of him but and arguably that's not the way round you want them either no no you you want to be chasing Lewis Hamilton with sort of able to leave George Russell behind if anything not that way round so it's a, a heavy workload for Carlos Sainz coming into the final three races of the season um, how about yourself who is your winner for the weekend my winner for the weekend I got to give it to Sebastian Vettel. I understandable. I thoroughly enjoyed watching him race. I think that should go some distance, sort of getting sort of kudos and commendation. Three thousand five hundred laps distance, or yeah, three thousand five hundred laps led in his career is an impressive stat to reach. It's annoying he's only going to hit something like two ninety nine or something for his races contested by the time he finishes Abu Dhabi. He falls one short of like a milestone figure. Well, it just leaves it open for it to come back for a one-off in Japan next year, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it does. Alonso just suddenly gets stomachache. Yeah. And then just, like, oh, I'll come in for that. Yeah, oh, Red Bull can't find anyone to sit in for Perez. Oh. Well, that'll be Ricardo. come on. Oh, no. Well, potentially true, actually. Well, they both have uh, illness at uh, Red Bull and you have Ricardo and Vettel and days of old. There's a bold prediction for next year. Oh, which race are you going to put that in for? Do you want to write that onto the predictions? Sheet no, for... I just, I don't, I'm not going to be that bored. I just wanted to... Is it bad enough as a prediction to happen for a specific race? So I'm just going to let that happen at any point next season. Yeah, I mean, his... Yeah, but on, on back to this weekend, his drive was fantastic. And it's it's sort of annoying to see him come so good so late in the season. It would have been nice to have seen this all season long, but I think at this point he knows the pressure's off and he's relaxed into it and he's always he's putting out his best performance because he's not trying to fight it now. He's just sort of going, ah, to hell with it. Sort of Fernando Alonso has been for the past two years, just a case of he knows he's probably not going to win the championship, but he's got nothing to lose, so he's going to enjoy it and just send it. And that really seems to be how he's found the groove with this slightly sort of lumpen Aston Martin that he's been dealt a hand with. So, yeah, it's nice to see the chance for him to actually go on a high as well. Like when you, I know there was just that satisfaction of for one or two laps there, the top three positions, thirteen world championships in just those top three places. It's just that's not gonna that's not gonna happen again in twenty twenty three. Like even no. if Alonso's there, you're still too short of that. So yeah, 
it's sort of otherworldly what he brings to it and it was yeah just that brief moment where everything was going right and you're sort of thinking oh, perhaps it's nostalgia perhaps it's going back just, to the just days stop when... the race now Vettel, Hamilton, Verstappen we'll have that as the podium when we just we're not going to yeah. question this perhaps it's just the rose-tinted glasses of sort of the days of Seb Vettel at Red Bull or when he was in the on final form where's the Ferrari? thing I was never the biggest fan of him when he was at Red Bull I kind of I thought he was just a bit too... I, I don't know if it was the age thing or what, but he just seemed too young and... Okay, he had the the resource to back it up, but the, the attitudes and everything, it just didn't sit with me. But when he went to Ferrari, it was like when Lewis moved from McLaren to Mercedes, I was like, hmm, okay. That takes a little bit of balls to leave home, essentially, and try something different. And okay, it's not worked out for him, but it takes guts to try it at least. And he definitely threw everything he could to do with Ferrari and he desperately wanted Aston Martin to work as we all did for him at the time because we thought Aston Martin, I mean the name means you win and it's just a shame that you have Stroll there um, to handicap yourself essentially as we'll get to. Um, so again it was it was weird for me to be like yeah it's nice to see him up there, it's probably the first time I've been happy to see him leading a race. <laughs> yeah it was just one of those nice moments and yeah just just nice just so the overwhelming, overwhelming warm gooeyness you get inside. Um, Ellie Mae Taylor is has also submitted a winners for us, despite the fact that she is on a uh, one podcast ban. Uh, yeah, we're still enforcing podcast bans, aren't we? As we have done previously. Yeah, what are we banning her for? It's a sabbatical. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't just thought of a prick. reason yet. <laughs> I've just sort of gone for the FIA rule of your band. Why? You are. She's chosen Fernando Alonso anyway, and it's not difficult to see why. Two wheels in an F1 car doing a mini tribute to Mark Webber in Valencia, but without going the full hog for it, and then dropping down to the back of the back and making his way back up to seventh, which is where he belongs, regardless of what the FIA or the stewards say on that one. And it's nothing short of impressive. And I don't know if you saw the uh, picture from his uh, car, uh, when he was parked in Park Fermi, he was oh, just sat, he gets on his sat on the front right, front yeah, right, he is just hands on his knees, under. just oh, you can just think, you know, he's just saying, F- me, I'm knackered. It's that brief moment where you just know he's just gone right. Just very much want the line from Lethal Weapon of "I'm too old for this." <laughs> it it does, and but at the same time, he is still duking it out at the oh, front very much in the, the same field. way as in Lethal Weapon. They then go off and continue doing what they're doing. Yeah. And it, 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 it's impressive in the performance that he still brings to the sport and the dedication, the drive, the determination, as much as we like to joke that he's just there for the fun of it and we know he's only sort of bouncing around bottom mid-tier teams just to stay still doing F1. But he's still giving it his all when he's doing it and it's it's nice to see that. And it's nice to also see him come to America and honour the time-old tradition of drag racing and wheel standing off the line by sort of giving us a demonstration mm. along the back straight. So that was that was nice to see him sort of take a bit of just local culture to the circuit. As he's on the two wheels. You, just, you know no. at that moment in time, there's a bit of him going, I should probably be going right. And he's probably got right input on, despite the fact that his front wheels are sort of 12 foot in the air at that point, It's roughly. the only thing you could kind of get from a driver of his level of experience. Yeah, it's the same as when you look at that Mercedes CLK that flipped at Le Mans quite a few years ago. You know the brake pad lights are fully illuminated as that mm. guy's standing on the middle pedal hoping to slow down. Just try it, just in case. <laughs> There's a few things, it might work. It's just it's that muscle memory of, something's gone wrong, hit the brakes, we're upside down. But yeah, it was... Also, what is that Alpine made out of? Because that took, A, a big shunt going into Stroll, a big shunt when it landed 
back on its front axle, and then it would have taken a big hit as well when it collided both wheels into the wall as it comes back down. Having just watched Black Adam yesterday, I'm going to make a DC Comics reference and say it's made of Ethereum, which is the toughest metal apparently in that universe. So DC used we'll version of vibranium, that. basically. Essentially, yes. Yeah, but um, nicer colour-wise. I know. I like the sort of purplish colour of vibranium. It was a nice blue, which is probably more appropriate for our. That's so true. That is very true. That's a true. nice thing I've just uh, noticed there, as I say in that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it the design and engineering that has gone into that Alpine the fact that it seems to just be able to shrug off cars smacking into its front suspension obviously we saw Lewis Hamilton clatter into him at Spa he sent Lewis Hamilton flying through the air the Alpine just sort of goes what of it I would continue to race because obviously it's an Alpine that's going to have a French accent oh is that your French accent was it it, it wasn't my it's not Russian (laughs) it's it's not my Enstone accent if if you're wondering but no it's not your French accent either (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't be so rude. But anyway, it's just impressive to see what that Alpine's made out of. And equally, speaking of the cars that are put together well, did you see the damage that Lando Norris was carrying by the end of the race as well? Mm. He was missing one of his little winglet eyebrows over the front end of his car. And I don't fully know how much downforce or error those impact the car with, but you can't imagine it would have been a fun drive otherwise with me missing that bit. So well, it could have fooled me from the amount of overtakes you were doing. Exactly. Kudos to him for still being able to fight it and put it off, which a bit like Perez as well. You expect that sort of thing from Perez, older, wizened driver, able to fight a car that's a bit damaged. But seeing Norris, Norris... It seemed like he forgot he was capable of that for the first half of the race and the second half of oh, wait a minute, I'm an F1 driver. I yeah. can actually do this stuff. And then, oh, look at me. And he's overtaking everyone. He just absolutely came out of nowhere. So that was that was impressive. So additional bonus winners, I think, are fair to go to the designers at McLaren and Alpine as well as Lando Norris. Talking of things that are not so impressive, though, our spinners for the weekend. I will let you kick things off there, Jesse. Um... We've obviously moaned about the stewards a lot already, but one one group of people from behind the scenes we haven't moaned about yet are the TV directors, who seemed a little bit out of their depth at moments. There was a lot of crowd shots of cheering mm-hmm. Americans, which I don't mind when we're in Japan, because they've usually got a cool hat, or they've dressed up, and, there was and it's no fun. Racing going on. <laughs> and there was no racing going on for two hours, show me the crowd, it's something. Uh, but in America, we missed a lot of overtakes. Uh, they were either shown in the mini side screen or as a replay, which is weird when Sky's tagline is "It's only life once," unless it's replayed to you. Um, unless it's Sky Q or Sky Glass, in which case I still don't care. It, yeah, unless you're a Sky Glass customer, in which case you can use your red button to rewind and watch the race highlights alongside live race footage. Stop giving them more a promotion, Jesse. For f- sake. <laughs> Why do I know that line off by heart? Um, because he f***ing says it every, every five race. minutes and it really starts to get to you. It We're does. It, 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 Sky it Glass. gets in there. Um, what it is, is it's my audition to do uh, commentary for Sky. That's what it is. You can't do much worse than the current one. Exactly. And I know, I know all the ads already. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, TV directors, they seem a bit out of their depth at the moment. There were points where we weren't watching what we really ought to have been watching and it was a little bit annoying because it seemed like there was a lot more action on circuit. There was only something like 17 racing overtakes last year. This year seemed a far more chaotic and energetic yeah. race and we only really got that through the replays so it would have been nice to have seen things happen in real life there was drivers moving up and down the timing tower Especially battles when you going see on how the, the train that was with McLaren and Alfa Tower and Alfa Romeo at some point see like oh damn they're actually really close together but we didn't see it too much and we saw it occasionally and then it would just jump away to something else and it's not that there wasn't something else going on necessarily but 
at the times where, you, like you say, you're showing crowd moments, I'd happily just watch this train coming around because you don't know if there's going to be someone making it and there's plenty of spots you can overtake at. So, yeah, usually they're sort of they were coming through in sort of packs of four at one point it was the two Alpha Tauri boys leaving Gasly Sonoda with them Bottas and I want to say at one point Alex Albon was at the back of it there was all sorts of different combinations of drivers coming through in this sort of midfield pack It would have been, and they were jostling for position occasionally you see them sort of moving up and down the timing tower it would be interesting to see where they're making these overtakes if they're doing it with DRS if they're doing it on the brakes if they're doing it through a turn where you don't expect it just would have been nice to see that so uh yeah, do 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 better, American TV directors, especially if you're the same people that we're going to have to put up with at Miami, Cota, and Las Vegas next year. I don't want three races of terrible US TV direction. Well, a matter in Vegas would be terrible anyway. Uh, I want, I I want to give mine, them a chance. I'm not, my, my field of f***s is very low on supply right now. Um, you're really going to use up my beep quota for this, aren't you? <laughs> I'm doing my damnedest. Um... As for myself, before I get to my main spinner, I reminded myself of who the real spinner of this weekend was, and that came in FP1 on Friday, which Jesse will now remember. As uh, Antonio Giovinazzi made his FP1 return for Haas, and uh, remind me how well that went again, just... Oh, yes, no, whilst everyone's focusing on Mick Schumacher crashing cars and being expensive... The experienced driver and the man that Jesse worships in a worryingly and we're going to have an after intervention sort of way crashed in, what, the first six minutes and was even then shown by, I can't remember which driver it was, possibly even Latifi, I want to say it was Latifi, uh, early on in qualifying or during the race at the exact same corner that here's how you crash without going into the wall at the exact same spot. So... uh, in terms of who's going to be in that Haas seat next year, nah, I don't think it's going to be Giovinazzi. Uh, if it is, they are dooming themselves. I don't know. Uh, well, he said that he doesn't think the the crash has impacted his chances of a seat next year, which uh, even I, it, has he? even I will admit is probably quite a strong line. Um, but yeah, it was just unfortunate. He drops it coming through there. And you're like, oh no! How many, and the other rookie, a bit how many rookies there. were in that session that didn't do that, Jesse? Was it five? One, two, yeah. Oh, yes, see, see. Yes, yeah. Oh, they right. all managed it. You've made your point. Yes, he dropped it. That's not the point. I do have a new cap. It actually, is the though. point. I've added a new cap to my collection. I've now got. Four, four, one, two, three, four. Who's is, who, is this one? This one is, no, because obviously I was at Grove over the weekend, they have a shop on site. So oh, at least it's not Giovinazzi again. No, it's not. Why have I bought a second Giovinazzi cap? Because oh, you madly in love with them. It's the Williams US Grand Prix Special Edition cap. He's wearing it, ladies and gentlemen, and it's an alright kind of hat, but it's, uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a nice I mean, cap. I'm not a big hat person. I have one hat, I wear it occasionally. It is not a Williams hat. Are you like, are anyway. you like group? You don't like hats because you can't tell what shape a person's head is underneath it. No, I don't think about them that much to have such opinions because they're it's only a hats. Unique uh, Guardians of the Galaxy reference there for anyone who's paying attention. Um, we'll move on from well, my. I wasn't F1. done yet. <laughs> I was going to say we'll move on from my F1 cap collection to your actual spinner, as opposed to just sitting here slandering Giovinazzi. Oh, but I have such fun with it, and it was such a good moment for me. I had such grin on my face. Anyway, Stroll is obviously my main course for this weekend in terms of spinners, and if you watched the race, you know why. Had a decent qualifying, and then 
just thought, you know what? I don't like this top five position where I'm driving right now. I'm just going to crash into Fernando Alonso for no apparent reason and claim to leave him space when we all saw that. That wasn't a fair move. That was yet another strike against Stroll and why he shouldn't be in that Aston Martin seat, being an absolute moron. And as was proven by several of the drivers, both before and after that particular moment in the Grand Prix, if you're going to move over, do it properly. And then you, at least Alonso would know pretty quickly he's not going to be uh, one to overtake in that particular part of the track. And instead, just drive into Alonso. Okay, so two things about Stroll. Is the first... He just crashed into his teammate for next year, which is going to be yes, interesting. Also amusing. The further fallout from that. The other interesting point is a lot of people sort of like to harp on about the fact that Lance Stroll is underrated. He was a Ferrari Driver Academy driver at one point. He's not underrated. Let's so face is Antonio Giovinazzi. Yes, and look at what he did in FP1. Um, but <laughs> Stroll is not an underrated driver. You've got to look at. I think the best way of looking at this so is it was his best qualifying performance since Turkey 2020. I thought, oh, was it that long ago? He actually did something decent and had to copy Mercedes to get that. Yeah, if you, you've got to look at 2020 to look at his performance in that season, and it is not good, especially when you realise that his teammate, so equal machinery, as Nico Hulkenberg likes to point out, bear in mind that. Sergio Perez sat out for two races, whereas Lance only sat out for one. Perez came home fourth in the standings with 125 points. Stroll came home 11th with 75 points. It's a big difference of not quite double. It's about sort of another 75% on top of him again. In equal machinery, with an extra race to win points in, it's it's not a good look. I, I hate to say it, and... It's going to be just as bad watching him battle Alonso next year as it has been watching him battle Vettel in the same machinery. And Alonso it's, this year. <laughs> and Alonso this year, which he seems to really be up to battling. But yeah, he's going to be up against a very competitive driver and a driver that does not give you any heat. Look at Alonso fighting Ocon in Saudi Arabia. Those two don't give each other an inch and I think that's a dangerous tactic to employ when you're racing Stroll especially in a car that's a little bit unpredictable As for Ellie May her spinner for the weekend which is a little harsh because it's normally we're criticising the driver or the team or the stewards but I can understand why she said this it's Carlos Sainz on pole which uh, great for him great for me but uh all over by lap one, turn one. Yeah, it didn't pan out exactly as I think Carlos Sainz aficionados would have liked, and I know Ellie May is a big Carlos Sainz fan, and it, yeah, it, it, this wasn't particularly his fault, but um, he, yeah, just luck wasn't on his side this week, and oh, it was because he had a great qualifying run. He sort of those team were able to get him out to circuit at the right time, absolutely perfect conditions, but then just. Uh, fell apart for him so that's he, he wished to finish first he just didn't clarify in the race yes he said I want to finish first okay you'll retire on lap one no, that's not what I meant no that's exactly what you said you're going to retire with a water leak after George Russell T-bones you so boo to that I suppose but not boo to the next section which is Jesse constructors and drivers countdown 
It's no change in the constructor standings at overall. Williams still tail the pack. Haas extend their lead over 9th place AlphaTauri. Aston Martin continue collecting points in 7th, now just a point shy of Alfa Romeo, who haven't collected a point since Italy. McLaren in 5th now sit 6 points shy of Alpine in 4th. Mercedes in 3rd close up on Ferrari in 2nd, and with an unassailable lead in P1, it's Red Bull. In the driver's fight, Hülkenberg still sits in P22 with no changes for our Joe in P18. Sonoda and Schumacher swap places, number 22 now up to 16th place. Stroll stays steady in 15th, tying for points with Yuki. Gasly and Magnussen swap places, 26 points plays, 23 in favour of the Danishman. Ricciardo clings on to 12th for all it's worth. Ahead of him, there's no change until we get to the battle for P2, where Perez and Leclerc again trade places. The Monegasque taking over from the Mexican by just two points. And out ahead with more points than Alpine, McLaren, Haas, Williams and Aston Martin combined, it's this year's world champion, Max Verstappen. So, of course, it is a Red Bull double championship. They, of course, have the constructors and they have the drivers. It is a neat little package all tied up with a bow on top. Something that cannot be said for our predictions challenge, which, oh, interesting week this week, I will say as such. Um, we'll start at the bottom Stop of the pile. Stop weekend for you overall, race-wise or prediction-wise. Or fantasy-wise, as we'll get to. No, or traffic on the M25-wise. We spent an hour and a half sat in stationary traffic getting back from Williams on Sunday night, Monday morning. That was not fun. Um, anyway, bottom of the pile of, uh, is me on zero points. So, yeah, I, I scored nothing. No point in me rattling through what scored me nothing. It's pointless. Um, Megan, and we, this was going to be probably the first time we had a guest on to face the consequences of their actions predictions-wise, but she is unable to join us this evening. Um, she and Ellie Mae scored two points apiece, both for their first and third place predictions. Uh, Timo, though, you scored a lot more points with your science poll of a Stappen win and a Russell fastest lap. So that's three points in total for you, which is... Uh, Good news for you in the standings as well, because as they now run, the guest is on 17, I'm on 19, you're on 20, leapfrogging me just by the one point, and Ellie May is still streaking into the lead with her 25 points. Her race average now is 1.389 points per race, which is pretty damn solid. Yeah, and terribly disappointing for us who were doing this longer, but yes. we should probably stop saying that. <laughs> we'll stop pointing that out, though. Um I will say in preview we'd see a driver uh, that, oh yes yes this is an interesting point I will do want to bring up and if I remember when I come to edit this I'll put in the clip um, in the preview for the US Grand Prix I speculated we'd see a driver from each of the front, front three teams on the podium all in I think it's beyond reason to say that any of the top three however could have someone on the grid this week on the podium this weekend and what did we get exactly that I'm not giving myself points for that. it I should have predicted that I didn't I don't know why, but um, yeah, all I was saying is the potency of my punditry is potential. But uh, yeah, it didn't actually translate into anything points-wise for me. No. Uh, something that also didn't translate into points for me was the Fantasy F1 League that we run, where, uh, well done. Well, I was very surprised reading this earlier in the notes you, because you I thought were, I had completely because... different drivers in the team and then I went and checked and went, oh, I was actually quite smart this weekend. Yes, yeah, you were. Your On The Curbs team scored the highest this week with a whopping 218 points uh, ahead of... Marked back down to 200 after Alonso's. Oh, they, fi um, they finally but dusted But I'm still the highest now. scoring in, in, yes, the, in yeah. the league on that one, so it didn't uh, affect me too badly next driver behind you was Lottie on 193 I don't know if that's been adjusted yet um, yeah I came I had, I had Lando on double points and Mercedes and between the two of them I already had 128 of the 200 points that is not bad 
that is not bad at all. I meanwhile came fifth with Jaffa Cake Racing with 176 points, so not terrible for them, uh, but not so good for my BRT Yamaha team who didn't even crack triple figures, just 95 points at the time of writing. That's probably a bit less now they've taken into account Alonso's penalties. I can't remember if Alonso's in that team. I think he might be. Um, so in the overall standings, just two points separate me from championship leader Alex F1. Uh, and at the point uh, running both teams in the top three, my BRT Yamaha now sits in P5, falling like a stone, rather. So Come and join me at the bottom, Jesse. Come and join me at the bottom. I'm not there just yet. In fact, live on the podcast recording, I'm going to have a check and see what's happened to them. Uh, now they've factored the in those. The undercut podcast didn't do particularly well because I believed I had signs in my team and then realised it was the undercut podcast that had signs, so automatically did bad there. Uh, swap that back to looking at the US Grand Prix. Oh, yeah, Alonso, uh, minus four points for that weekend. So how does that look in the in the lobby? Let's go have a quick check. Season. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, no, I've got... I'm now a long way off first. I'm now it's now almost fifty points or so there. Uh in the race, yeah, you still lead on two hundred over one ninety-seven. Uh P nine for Jaffa Cake Racing for me and yeah, P twenty on ninety-seven for my BRT team. P uh, twenty-one teams. Oof. I don't know why you're mocking. You're usually down there. Yes, but when I'm not, I have to take it and relish it accordingly. This is very true. Uh, anyway, when I do is... well, I do really well. When I do badly, I do really badly. There yeah, the middle ground. You're you're binary in the way you accumulate points in our fantasy F1 league, which is quite an odd conclusion to draw but a conclusion nonetheless and one we can end the podcast on uh, that is all we have time for in this week's episode please keep sending in your questions for our Q&A episode which we'll do after the season if you have any cues that you'd like us to A get them to us via the socials or via our email address which will be in the episode description somewhere on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts yada 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 um, go, go find it in the meantime, if you're like me and you want to see more of me or the work that I do, you can find me over on Is It Fast, where I have an article out on why W Series must return. And you can also find me over on On The Curbs, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock Sorority, and of course, Instagram. And if you want more of me, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram as at Jesse on Cars. And if you want to find more of me in a more physical form, uh, preferably not in person, don't surprise me in Tesco's, you can, however, pick up Classic Car Weekly and find my work in there. So plenty more of me to be found and spread around. And we'll mention Ellie May, despite the fact that she is unable to be with us, where she is also found on our Instagram page, where we occasionally get her key takeaways and also some TikTok content on our TikTok account. So very much worth checking out there. And I will say, you mentioned your article about W Series. That's certainly something we're going to touch on in our next episode, where we preview the Mexican Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs>